special welcome to our guest, Reverend Eason from Cordova. Welcome. It's lovely to have, uh, as far as I'm aware, there are four ordained priests in the state of Alaska, and there's three in this room today, so um, it's wonderful. I really feel that each uh, practitioner we have in the room lends an additional sense of stability to the practice. So thank you all for being here. Fundamental to our Zen tradition is the investigation of birth and death. And awareness of birth and death. And increasing clarity about what that means and what that doesn't mean. Sometimes I think I can trace all my fear back to fear of death. Or I might more accurately say fear of a mistaken notion I have about death. This fear is ultimately delusion-based, delusion-based. That's why it's so important to see through, see through into this question of what is this birth and death? Or what is this place of no birth, no death? Or what is it that's alive? There's so many versions of the same fundamental question. One simple way to pick up this practice is to pick up some sort of investigation of my own fear of death, or my own awareness of death. Some would say we should be constantly, constantly aware of our own mortality. My teacher chosen would say, does say, as if death is right on our shoulder or looking over our shoulder all the time. We really don't know if the next breath comes or does not come. This is true that we really don't know. It's been interesting to me in preparing for this talk uh, 
to find that even bringing up the topic, bringing in whatever version comes forth in the moment, the thought of my own mortality, the reality of death, and that we can't escape death, how uh, easily distracted I suddenly can become. So because fear of death is based in delusion and freedom from this fear is what we're after, it's kind of cool to say in a Zen community, I'm not afraid of death. But if you think you're not afraid of death at all, then what is it that ever, ever takes you away from this present moment? Remember, this moment, life as it is, the only teacher the only reality. So aside from very deliberate, intentional future planning, why else? I've started giving myself talk topics. And that's great for me um, in a position where I'm giving a at least weekly talk. Helps me cycle through different explorations, different ways of practicing. My teacher, Jan Chosen Bay's set of Dharma reading to read the things that inspire you to practice. And I agree with that statement. And so I have my um, Thich Nhat Hanh book that I've used and I think I'll continue to use for at least a little while longer um, before I return it to the Haynesboro Public Library. Um, Sometimes the right reading is just the thing. And sometimes we can read something and use it to fuel practice for the next hour, the next week, maybe the next decade or two, in which case I can return this to the library in the interim. 
I found in here in the last chapter uh, some instructions from the Buddha for uh, being with someone who is dying and nourishing someone who is dying and practicing with death, whether we are uh, aware that we are dying or not. This chapter, the last chapter in this book, is also very connected to one of the sutras. And it's a sutra I had not studied before. But it's um, the instructions to the dying person are instructions to Anattapandika, who was a dear friend of the Buddha's. And one thing Thich Nhat Hanh does in the final chapter, which I, I won't be able to read all of tonight, um, is really go into the background, the story, about who all the characters are. So Anattapandika, um, a great benefactor of the Buddha, who is um, also really widely known for helping the poor, helping the destitute, and having a strong uh, lay Buddhist practice throughout his life. And then Shariputra and Ananda, two of the Buddha's main disciples, are in this story too. So I'm going to read a little about from Thich Nhat Hanh's telling of these instructions. So where I'm beginning, this is um, the, the his, the he is Anattapandika. 35 years after his first meeting with the Buddha, he fell very ill. Hearing of his sickness, the Buddha came to visit him and urged him to practice mindful breathing while lying in bed. Then the Buddha charged Venerable Shariputra with taking good care of his old friend. The Buddha asked Shariputra to remain in Koshala with Anattapandika and to help him die peacefully. When Shariputra learned that Anattapandika was fast approaching death, he asked his younger brother in the Dharma, the Venerable Ananda, to go with him to see his old friend. Ananda was a cousin of the Buddha and had memorized all the Buddha's Dharma talks. He is one of the main reasons we have the teachings of the Buddha today. So the, the Buddha was uh, teaching um, prior to written language. And so the tradition at the time of the Buddha's teaching was to actually memorize. Memorize his talks and... And so you'll notice if you read sutras or when I read sutras, um, not so much this retelling by Thich Nhat Hanh, but there are devices within the talk to help with memorization. Um, so it was a skill that people picked up to a much uh, greater degree than we tend to pick up today. Uh, and Ananda, the Buddha's 
cousin was especially good at this, especially adept. So he's one of the main reasons we have the teachings of the Buddha today. After finishing their daily alms round, the two of them went to the house of Anathapandika. When the two monks arrived, Anathapandika, who needed them very much in this difficult moment, was happy to see them. He tried his best to sit up and greet them in a proper manner, but he could not because he was so weak. Shariputra said to him, My dear friend, don't try to sit up. Just lie down and we will bring two chairs and sit close to you. Then Shariputra asked, Dear friend, how do you feel in your body? Do you feel pain? If so, is it increasing or is it decreasing? Anathapandika answered, Dear friend, it does not seem that the pain in my body is decreasing. It seems it is increasing all the time. Shariputra then said, In that case, I suggest we begin a guided meditation on the three jewels. He began to offer a meditation on the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, with the support of Venerable Ananda sitting beside him. Shariputra was considered to be one of the most brilliant monastic disciples of the Buddha. He was like the right arm of the Buddha. He was the elder brother to thousands of monks and nuns. He knew that Anattapandika had gotten a great deal of pleasure over the years serving the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. He also knew that for Anathapandika, this meditation would water the seeds of happiness in him at that difficult moment. So he gave this teaching, this reminder of the truth of Dharma, Dharma truths that would resonate with this particular individual. He knew these teachings were already dear and would cause greater happiness to arise. So in this broader chapter, um, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about how watering the seeds of happiness, this idea of watering the seeds of happiness, can take different forms when working with different individuals. So he tells a story, you know, his own story, about how in one case when someone was dying, playing the sutras on a cassette recorder really helped bring happiness into this person's consciousness. And in another case, um, how going over memories of a certain activist's work in the world really watered the seeds of happiness in that individual. He shared with Anathapandika the practice of recollecting the wonderful nature of the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. In just five or six minutes, the pain that Anathapandika felt throughout his body lessened as the seeds of happiness in him were watered. His balance was restored. Anathapandika smiled.
When Anatha Pandika was able to smile, Shariputra knew that the balance between joy and pain in him had been restored. He invited Anatha Pandika to continue the guided meditation. He said, Dear friend, please practice together with Ananda and me as follows. Breathing in, I see that this body is not me. Breathing out, I am not caught in this body. I am life without limit. I have never been born and I will never die. When you are about to die, you may not be very aware of your body. You may experience some numbness, and yet you are caught in the idea that this body is you. You are caught in the notion that the disintegration of this body is your own disintegration. That is why you are fearful. You are afraid you are becoming nothing. The disintegration of the body cannot affect the dying person's true nature. You have to explain to her that she is life without limit. This body is just a manifestation like a cloud. When a cloud is no longer a cloud, it is not lost. It has not become nothing. It has transformed. It has become rain. Therefore, we should not identify ourselves with our body. This body is not me. I am not caught in this body. I am life without limit. In fact, we have to begin this practice with our eyes, nose, ears, tongue, body, and mind. These eyes are not me. I am not caught in these eyes. I am life without boundaries. These ears are not me. I am not caught in these ears. I am life without limit. This nose is not me. I am not caught in this nose. I am life without limit. So he's taking it apart here. Hmm? Might be easier to see that this nose is not me. Hmm? And this whole body is not me. This practice helps us not to identify ourselves with our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and body. We explore each sense consciousness and each sense organ so that we can see we are not them. We are much more than the manifestation of our sense organs. The cessation of the manifestations does not affect us, the true us. Then, we look and see what else we might think is our identity. So this is one way of looking into the question, who am I? And kind of look into the question of who I'm not, see through that, and then what's left. Beyond the body and the senses are the five aggregates of form, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness. We have to look deeply at each one and say these things are also not me. Perceptions, 
feelings, ideas come and go, so they cannot be me. Consciousness, just like perceptions, feelings, and mental formations, is just a manifestation. Consciousness is just a manifestation. When conditions are sufficient, these manifestations are present. When conditions are no longer sufficient, these manifestations are no longer present. Present or not present, these manifestations are not me. Shariputra guided Anathapandika through the sense consciousnesses and five aggregates, and Anathapandika saw that they were not him. So Shariputra began the guided meditation on the four elements. He said to Anathapandika, Dear friend, let us continue our meditation, the element of earth in me. So earth here means everything that is solid. Flesh, bones, muscles, organs. The element of earth's solidity in me is not me. The fire element, or the heat to keep warm and digest food, is not me. I am not caught in the earth element. I'm not caught in the fire element or the heat in me. The water element in me is not me. So water in the body, but everything flowing in the body. So blood, bodily fluids, this flowing element. The water element in me is not me. There is water everywhere in and around me. I am free of the element water. I am free of identifying this water is me and this water is not me. The air element in me is not me because I am life without boundaries. Shariputra continued like that. Finally, Anathapandika was guided in the meditation on interdependent origination. Dear friend, let us look more deeply. When conditions are sufficient, my body manifests itself. It does not come from anywhere. And after disintegration, it does not go anywhere. It transforms. But matter is not created or destroyed. When things manifest, we cannot really call them being. When things stop their manifestation, we cannot really describe them as non-being. We are free from notions of coming, going, being, non-being, birth, death, same, and different. It was exactly the kind of practice and teaching that we understand when we contemplate a cloud, a flame, or the sunflowers. When he had practiced to that point, Anatha Pandika began to cry. Ananda was surprised. Venerable Ananda was much younger than Shariputra, and he was not able to see the transformation and liberation Anathapandika had undergone in those few moments. He thought Anathapandika was crying because he regretted something or did not succeed in his meditation. Ananda asked, Dear friend, why are you crying? Do you regret anything? And so Anatta Pandika is crying out of joy. 
because he's received these wonderful teachings that have supported him. I'm so happy, I'm so free. And a further thing that happens in this story, which is significant, I think, is um, Anatha Vendika, or Ananda says, well, as, as monastics, we receive teachings like this every day. And Anatha Vendika says, well, we lay people, we want these teachings too. Please tell the Buddha to also give these teachings to lay people. And because they were such good friends, um, Shariputra and Ananda did pass that message on to the to the Buddha. And of course, Thich Nhat Hanh encourages us to uh, absorb these teachings and practice with death uh, early and often, really as soon as we can, hopefully long before the moment of our actual physical what we call death. In Zen, there's a saying, uh, if you die before you die, you'll never have to die again. And so you got a saying like that. Um, you could take it and get all tangled up and confused. But it really what it means is if you see through the illusion of birth and death and come to know very clearly what this life is, then what we call death, this physical unbinding of the body, is not a scary thing, not an ordeal to go through. You'll never have to die again. You won't have to go through the, the fear. But to not have to go through the fear on the deathbed, you have to go through the fear on the cushion or in the practice. Spend enough time with death right here or over the shoulder, or what have you, what have you. And bring the awareness in in whatever creative way um, we can find to do that. So in this practice, sometimes we pick up something or multiple things deliberately as, as our practice. Certainly I've found in this personal exploration that I, I need to practice more with my own death and with clarifying this, this very delusion. Thank you very much. Thank you. We will now chant the Heart Sutra. Uh, our version is on a card beneath your seat.